You're listening to the free, abridged edition of the Energy Transition Show. American coal. Nuclear energy. Natural gas. Hydro. Solar power. Wind turbines. We're becoming a monumental exporter of natural gas. This boom in the United States is not a bubble that's going away. The oil's still there. I'd rather pump it from another country and save ours, and then when the rest of the world runs out, hey, guess what? We can still turn on our lights. We've run into a problem where we have constraints, where there are limits now. The new phase we're going into related to the exhaustion of these resources, there's no replacement. This is a one-shot affair, and we're unprepared for it. Really, we do not have very much more time to get a handle on this problem. It's better to get to a renewable future, a sustainable future, sooner rather than later. Get there before we do the environmental damage, not after. For May 17th, 2017, this is the Energy Transition Show with Chris Nelder. In addition to the market and regulatory design issues we discussed with Gavin Bade in episode 41, there are legal dimensions to those same cases. Do states really have the right to implement subsidies for certain nuclear and coal plants if doing so will alter wholesale power prices where only the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, or FERC, has authority? And conversely, does FERC really have the authority to tell state regulators what kind of resources to allow to participate in their markets and how those markets should function? Could the around-market reforms that are now being proposed in at least half a dozen U.S. states become a favored strategy for economically challenged power generators, effectively forcing a kind of unintentional or backdoor re-regulation in deregulated competitive markets? And what about a new tactic that some utilities are using to fend off competition from solar, which is to attack PURPA, the federal law that has undergirded renewable procurement since 1978? Or for that matter, do we even need PURPA anymore, given the many changes to the electricity sector since the 1970s? And what are some of the ways that different states with different regulatory regimes might even view that question? In this episode, we explore these deep, dark, yet important and very contemporary legal questions with the help of Ari Pesco, a senior fellow in electricity law at the Harvard Law School Environment Policy Initiative. In addition to our deep dive on PURPA and around market reforms, we'll talk about some impending changes to wholesale markets that might allow various DERs to participate on an even footing with conventional generators. We'll also discuss some of the likely implications of Trump's new direction in energy policy, what he actually has the authority to do about the Clean Power Plan, and how the federal government's leadership role on climate might be changing under a Trump administration. And then in the news segment, we'll talk about a recent technical conference FERC held to discuss these issues, the rapidly fading outlook for coal power in Europe, a remarkably fat duck in California, an exciting update on green bonds, and we'll offer a cameo appearance to a tiny Scottish isle that has switched to renewables. But first, our conversation with Ari Pesco. So let's bring him into the conversation now. Welcome Ari to the Energy Transition Show. Thanks for having me. So in episode 41, Gavin Bade and I discussed at length the various kinds of subsidies and so-called around market reforms that uneconomic generators are using now to try to stay in business while being undercut by cheaper natural gas and renewables. And arguably, the first major instance of this trend is happening in New York, where the PSC agreed to give three nuclear reactors a subsidy, which they're calling a zero emissions credit or ZEX. Ostensibly, as the name implies, the intent of this subsidy is to value the fact that nuclear plants don't produce emissions while generating power. But I think it's pretty clear to all observers that those plants, if they were able to compete, we wouldn't be talking about giving them a subsidy right now. So you've been watching the arguments pertaining to this case pretty closely. What do you think some of the key legal issues are here? 
Yeah. So before I get into the legal issues, I do think it's helpful first just to identify the parties and recognize their interests. So, sure. you know, ar arguments in a legal case, of course, they have to be rooted in the law, but the companies in this litigation are not really motivated by abstract legal principles. So on one side of the case, you have the New York Public Service Commission, which is, of course, defending its own policy. And they're joined by Exelon, which owns the plants that would generate Zex and could earn I think the number is about $7.5 billion over the course of this 12 or so year program. Right. And these parties are supported by two major environmental organizations, NRDC and EDF. And on the other side of the case, we have a coalition of generation companies. And they're concerned that by you know keeping these three plants open with Zex, that it'll result in lower energy and capacity payments in the New York ISO market. So, you know, according to their calculations, they're going to lose several billion dollars over the life of the ZEC program. Obviously, this case ostensibly is not about money. It's about legal arguments. So let me quickly turn to those. So the generator's primary legal arguments ask the court to decide what the proper roles are for state and federal regulators in regulating electricity markets. So they invoke a legal principle that's called preemption. The idea here is that federal law can preempt or void state law. So when a state is regulating in an area where only the federal government can regulate, that state policy is preempted. So a simple example here is immigration law. Only the federal government can grant visas for people to enter into the U.S. So if a state started its own visa program, clearly a court would step in and preempt that and say, you know, no, only the federal government can do that. So in this case, the relevant federal law is the Federal Power Act. That's what gives FERC its authority over the electricity industry. And it's been understood by courts to provide FERC with exclusive authority to regulate wholesale electric rates. So the generators argue that the ZEC program modifies a wholesale power rate, and it therefore impermissibly regulates in an area where only FERC may regulate. So under their interpretation of the ZEC program, New York values a ZEC at around $18, and it specifies which plants can generate those ZECs. And so the state is essentially adding $18 to whatever rate is generated by the New York ISO market. So according to the generators, the state is regulating the rate, and only FERC can do that, so it's preempted. They have a second preemption theory, too, and that rests on the legal principle that where there's an area of regulation where both state and federal regulators are allowed to regulate, a state policy is nonetheless preempted if it conflicts with federal law. So here, the generators argue that the ZECs are subsidies, and those subsidies are interfering with prices generated by the New York ISO market. You know, the market is regulated by FERC and FERC has this pro-competition policy and that it ensures that rates are just and reasonable, which is sort of the key term in the Federal Power Act, by overseeing competitive markets. And these competitive markets send price signals that are supposed to motivate investors. And here the state of New York is distorting those price signals and therefore is conflicting with FERC's market-based regulatory regime. 
Okay, so there's a fundamental question here about jurisdiction. You know, apart from whether or not there ought to be a subsidy or who benefits from the subsidy or how big the subsidy is, there's just a fundamental question about whether it's a state or a federal regulatory jurisdiction. Exactly. I mean, right. So the court's not being asked to decide whether or not this is good policy or whether these plants should be kept open or anything like that. This is purely a legal question. And the big issue, you know, I think for purposes of energy transition is what roles are state and federal regulators going to play in this energy transition over the long term? And these ZEX cases, there's one in New York and there's a very similar case filed in Illinois against that state's nearly identical ZEC program. These cases are coming at a critical time because we're about a year away from the Supreme Court's decision in Hugh v. Talon, which was about a Maryland program. And that decision was about the first preemption argument that I mentioned. That is, is a state program impermissibly regulating wholesale rates? And it's very rare for the Supreme Court to weigh in on energy issues. So how the lower courts understand that Supreme Court case could influence the development of this industry for decades to come. And more practically, more immediately, if ZECs are declared by courts to be illegal, then might other state policies then fall in future cases? So one issue that's come up already, and this was really the subject of uh, quite a bit of the oral argument in New York, was that the judge was asking both sides whether ZECs are legally distinct from RECs, from renewable energy credits, which are part of every state's renewable portfolio standards. So right, right. if ZECs are preempted, then you know I'm sure someone down the line is going to file a lawsuit saying RECs have to be preempted right. too. But on the other hand, if ZECs are legal, other states might follow suit. I know there's already been some discussion about Ohio or a couple other states looking at ZECs. But then you could also imagine, might a state create an emission credit that actually values CO2 emissions as something positive? If you can do a zero emission credit, could you also then do an emission credit? And might some state do that because they want to keep their coal plants open? You know, who knows where this could go? Interesting. So it'd be some flavor of a carbon tax by another name, basically. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it would sort of be a carbon adder. Right, right. Bonus. <laughs> a carbon bonus. <laughs> so I think the big question looming over this strategy of this particular type of round market reform is whether it will really work and prove to be durable. So do you think New York's nuclear subsidy is potentially setting a precedent for the rest of the country here? Yeah. So I mean, right now, you know, the big issue I think is legal uncertainty. This case in New York is going to take about two years, I would guess, to play out. The best case right now for New York, so this case was filed back in October of 2016. It's now been fully argued. So the best case for New York right now is that the judge in this case in the next few months, sometime, let's say, over the summer 2017, grants New York's motion to dismiss the case. But at that point, the generators would then file an appeal in a federal appeals court. In this case, it would be the Second Circuit. And that's probably going to take another year before that court makes a decision. And meanwhile, in Illinois, you have a different federal court looking at Illinois' policy, which, as I mentioned, is pretty much a copy of New York's policy. And then again, you know, whoever loses that case is then going to take it to a different federal appeals court. It'll be the Seventh Circuit there. And so again, that process will have to play out. And assuming the Supreme Court does not take the case, 
we'll be looking at final decisions late 2018 or something in that time frame. On whether it's going to be durable, the big issue here is what's the role of state and federal regulators going to be? As you know, EPA's clean power plan is the only national policy we have on carbon reduction from the power sector. I mean, it's been temporarily halted by the Supreme Court, and it's very unlikely that the current administration is going to implement it as it was issued. So to the extent there's any national policy at all for the electricity sector, it's been outlined by FERC over the past couple of decades, and it's sort of a pro-competition policy. FERC has no carbon policy. It has some rules about renewable energy, but those are sort of rules that are designed to ensure that renewable energy has fair access to the market. It's not being discriminated against in any way. So, you know, at this point, carbon reduction, renewables, those have been something that states have taken up and the federal government really has. And I think the most durable solution ultimately is moving away from this piecemeal state-by-state -state approach and finding a way for FERC, for states, and the industry to come together and figure out a solution. I mean, that's how today's competitive market started. Congress never passed a law that said, okay, PJM, you can go start an interstate auction market now. That's just something that utilities and FERC and states came together and they made that happen. So I think, you know, the same thing is possible here. You know, FERC is, you, know, you talked about last episode that FERC is hosting a technical conference next week where they're going to talk to state policymakers, talk to industry, talk to experts, and see if they need to make some adjustments to their markets to accommodate these state policies or even help market participants to achieve their state policy goals in FERC-regulated markets. So nobody knows exactly how that might look. It's certainly going to be a process that I think will take a few years to play out. But I think that's really the most durable long-term solution is for the parties to get together and work this out in the interstate markets. That would certainly be nice. It just doesn't feel right to have so many of these subsidies and challenges and so on happening in a piecemeal fashion in different states. It seems like a recipe for some sort of brewing disaster, you know? <laughs> yeah, and it's sort of a disaster that, or brewing disaster perhaps, I don't want to call it a disaster yet, it's sort of FERC and the states kind of inadvertently made together when restructuring happened about 20 years ago. Mm. You know, if you think about how the industry used to be structured with vertically integrated utilities, and then generation costs were largely recovered through state-regulated retail rates. Right. And states have authority over siting power plants. States have authority over, you know, a lot of environmental aspects of power plants. It's states that get to decide if a plant's going to burn coal or natural gas or whatever. That's something that state regulators have authority. FERC has no authority over those sorts of decisions. But then what happened with restructuring was that states told or encouraged their utilities to spin off their generation assets or sell them off to third parties. And that severed the connection between state authority and revenue, how those plants were going to generate revenue. So states still had all of this authority over siting and environmental aspects of the plants, but they lost authority over how those plants were going to earn money. And so that's kind of where this comes from. There's sort of this disconnect between states wanting their power companies to make certain choices, but being constrained in how they can affect how those plants earn money. And so I think you have to get FERC back into this equation because FERC has that authority 
over wholesale rates. And so we have to kind of fit this back together in some way where we can have workable markets, but at the same time, have states meaningfully express the authority that they've had for many decades over over fuel choices and environmental aspects. We hope you've enjoyed this free sample of the Energy Transition Show. The full episode covers much more. In order to hear the rest, point your browser to energytransitionshow.com and become a member. Annual subscriptions start at just $60 a year, and monthly subscriptions are also available. It's like subscribing to your favorite magazine or newspaper, but we prefer to think of it as buying us a pint once a month as a way of saying thanks. The first 33 episodes of the Energy Transition Show were free, and always will be. So if you want to see what our full shows contain, feel free to check those out. Then we hope you'll become a member and support our show. In order to bring you the most unfiltered, unbiased, honest information we can produce, we have elected not to take any sponsors or advertisers. 100% of the revenue that makes the Energy Transition Show possible comes from listener subscriptions. So please join us today and support our advertising-free show featuring high-quality, cutting-edge interviews and news about the most important story of our time, energy transition. And now a quick look at some recent news items. Item 1. As mentioned in both this interview and our interview with Gavin Bade in episode 41, FERC held a technical conference on May 1st and 2nd to hear testimony from a wide range of stakeholders on the various kinds of wholesale market reforms that we discussed with Gavin, including what Gavin is calling unintentional re-regulation. I'll link to some articles about the conference in the show notes, but briefly, it covered all of the issues you might expect, including stake-level subsidies for coal and nuclear plants, whether ISOs and RTOs should continue to be responsible for ensuring resource adequacy at a time of rapid baseload plant retirements, how capacity markets might be tweaked to maintain capacity within competitive markets without overbuilding capacity, or whether markets can survive at all, where the appropriate lines are between federal and state responsibility as regards resource procurement, how to maintain a market-based high renewables future while compensating owners of retiring generating units, and how to give investors a measure of confidence that the markets will remain stable. If anything, the hearings show that a great deal of work needs to be done at the regulatory level as the transition proceeds on many interrelated issues. Unfortunately, this huge drama played to a small audience. Only two seats on the five-seat FERC commission are currently filled, and one of them, Commissioner Honorable, intends to step down at the end of June when her term ends, leaving four of the five seats to be appointed by Trump at a time when FERC has a long list of very important decisions to make. But for now, in the absence of a three-person quorum, FERC is unable to make any decisions. Item 2. As if to echo the news we reported in the previous episode about the UK going a full 24 hours without coal for the first time since the Industrial Revolution began, Bloomberg reports that coal-burning generators are retiring at a record pace across Europe, as cheaper wind and solar power push... Well, that's it for this episode of the Energy Transition Show. Thanks for listening. You can find our show archive and give us feedback and suggestions at energytransitionshow.com and follow us on Twitter at Transition Show. Our theme music was by Mike Sugar and Mark Burnfield, who you can find online at mikesugarmusic.com. The Energy Transition Show is a production of the XE Network. <laughs>